I really want to reclaim what movement looks like for us and just personally what it can look like for you because regardless of even your shape or your body size, fitness is personal. You're listening to Burnt Toast. This is the podcast about anti-fat bias, diet culture, parenting, and health. I'm Virginia Solsmith, and today I am chatting with Jesse Diaz-Herrera. Jesse is a body-positive dancer, health and wellness influencer, and fitness enthusiast, and you might know her on Instagram as at Curves with Moves, and also from her free The Jiggle classes. Jesse is just like this bright light in the anti-diet, body liberation, fitness space. I really love chatting with her. I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. The first half is for everyone, and then we have Jesse answering your listener questions at the end. That part is paywalled, so to hear it, you're going to need to be a paid Burnt Toast subscriber. It's just $5 a month or $50 for the year. You get a ton of cool perks, and you keep this an ad and sponsor-free space. So go to virginiasoulsmith.substack.com or click the link in your episode description to join us. You're going to get to hear Jesse talk about how we take the focus off how we look and on to how our bodies feel. We're going to talk about finding time to work out for new moms and what to do when you are absolutely exhausted and also what to do when you are at the gym in a fat body and need help feeling safe and supported. So, so much good stuff. Here's Jesse. My name is Jesse Diaz Herrera, also known as Curves of Moves on Instagram. And I am a, I'm going to say a body firming fitness instructor and also own a fitness wellness company called Power Plus Wellness, where we curate fitness and wellness events for plus size bodies to practice wellness and safe spaces. So my work is really revolved around movement and what that looks like outside of diet culture. And I'm also an instructor myself. So being able to teach classes and use this work not only in my classes, but also as a mom. So really excited today to just chat with you all things body affirmation, movement, and kids. (laughs) So you were a dancer as a kid, but you stopped around age 12, and it took a while for you to like get back to it, rediscover the passion. As a kid, I was very active. (laughs) I had ADHD as a kid and still now. (laughs) So, you know, at the time, my parents were just like, we need to tire this girl out. And <laughs> I was just in a myriad of programs and very grateful to my family, to my parents, you know, for really putting me in a bunch of different things. But dance was really one of the things that I felt the most focused in and also the program I wanted to go to the most. Like I couldn't wait to go to dance classes on Saturdays. And I was a ballet tap and jazz girly from like four years old <laughs> until the teen programs. And so I was actually committed to this studio in Brooklyn for our whole childhood basically and grew up in the studio and it was in the 90s so like in prime like diet culture you know like 90s model like very skinny era Mm -hmm. and also I'm in the world of ballet (laughs) double (laughs) put all of that together (laughs) and I just remember we had to audition when we're turning teenagers to the ballet academy and it was like the certificate that you got and it was like this this huge honor that you got in the program especially as kids who grew up in ballet tap and jazz or in these kind of programs you're looking forward to like oh I'm gonna graduate to this next phase in this program and in my life and as a dancer and you know I just remember at the time puberty hit for me pretty early on I think I was nine nine or ten and so I just started developing a lot faster than any other girls Mm -hmm. in my program And yeah, and so I remember 
just practicing really hard for this program and for the certificate from the Ballet Academy of Dance. And I did the audition. I felt great. And after one of the instructors kind of told me, you know, you were really great. And I got in, but they had advised me <laughs> to lose weight. And I can't remember the way they said it, but it was in a way. And also you have to think about as a dancer who was in this program, I looked up to these people. These were my instructors that like, I wanted to impress and I wanted to do well. And so I think, you know, you can relate to this too as a mom, but also just thinking about being a kid in that era, like what does dieting even look like? What is that? You know, there's no advice out there. Right. Available. What were they asking you to do? It was just like, you need to lose like 10 pounds or whatever. And, you know, the head ballerina on our program, she was very skinny. She was, you know, beautiful Russian teenager. And, you know, I just was like, why don't I look like that? You know, like, I don't understand I immediately was like, oh my God, like my body doesn't fit the program anymore. And I started to feel shame. I didn't tell my mom that they told me to lose weight because I knew that was wrong, right? But I was so motivated to do it. And I knew that my mom would just be upset about it. Mm -hmm. And so again, like, and I say this because in case, you know, there's trigger, you know, just little signs out there for your kids. But like, I just started skipping meals. I'm not hungry. I don't feel well. And I was like, you don't have a fever. Like what's wrong? And, you know, she started seeing consistently that I would just start skipping meals. Mm -hmm. And eventually I had fainted. My mom was like super pissed. Like, what is going on? Like, tell me what it is. And I had told her, you know, they had told me to lose weight. And I was just trying to like lose 10 more pounds. And my mom is one of those people like, you don't mess with her daughters. And she's like, like a New Yorkan. Like she is just like a spicy, like New York Latina. And so she like stormed up into the <laughs> studio. It was like, nobody tells my daughter what to do, how to eat like cursed everybody I was so mortified right at the time I was mortified because I was like my mom ruined my life yeah she ruined my chances with the program and you know at the time I didn't know that she was defending me in a time that I couldn't and so yeah. so yeah I kind of left dance for a while I mean my mom pulled me out the program right. she was like we're not <laughs> rightfully <doing> so <laughs> and like rightfully you know. so but I was devastated right because I felt like that was like what I love to do and I was also in sports at the time as you know I guess I was in many programs. And so I dedicated my life to sports after that. And I said, okay, well, if I'm going to go into high school, I'm going to just play sports. And I played softball. I played basketball. Like if there was another sport, if there was even like a recreational sport I was playing, anything that I could do to like keep active. And it was because I knew that when my body was active, my brain wasn't going crazy and I mm -hmm. wasn't just like stressing out. And I even knew that as a kid, I just wanted to always move. I was always this energy. I needed to expel this energy. And so it wasn't until college really that I started dancing again. And that was really, I think I took out, you know, again, being in ballet tap and jazz in the nineties, going into college in the two thousands into the hip hop, like kind of time mm. where it was just like more acceptable. They were seeing dancers of every color. And just like, I think in that way, college felt a little bit more acceptable, but even then I just like, for example, there were times where we all costumes, right? Where like everyone had to wear this costume and they would send you the link to like buy your costume. And mm -hmm. of course it only went up to a large. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, ah, but because I felt so guilty, I would never tell the instructor. I actually found, man, I was trying to think about her name the other day, bless her heart. But I found someone in like Idaho who was actually making me custom outfits oh, wow. for every single show I had wow. you know I think about how ridiculous that is now but at the time I was like I would be so mortified to tell them that 
they would have to change their costume because it doesn't come in my size. Oh, but they should yeah. have. They should, you know, <laughs> that shouldn't have been your burden to have to find the custom costume lady. And, you know, it's funny, like, we think about, like, how we consider ourselves big and, and in certain places. And at the time, I think I was maybe a size 12, 14. Mm-hmm. And it was an interesting time. But I know that when I danced, everyone was like, man, you're so good at dancing. You're so great. This energy, this personality. I started just to gain more confidence in myself. And so something that, you know, I felt like I was stripped away from my body actually in a way gave me confidence later on. That's such a cool story. And I have to say, like, big props to your mom. Like, (laughs) definitely the right move. But also a hard call, right? Like, of course, she knew she was breaking your heart, but also keeping you safe. And that is such an impossible position she was put in then. I think it's a great takeaway for parents you might have to make a tough call. And hopefully here, like, even if my kid doesn't do this program this year and it feels like a big missed opportunity, it doesn't mean the door to dance is closed forever for this kid. And I will say, I recently just took a ballet class for the first time, like, since that had happened, like, maybe, <laughs> I think, two months ago. Oh, wow. And it was with a fat instructor, but it was oh, someone that. that I felt comfortable who were yeah. actually were testing for one of our newest classes for Power Plus Wellness. But it was just... I remember being in the class and feeling like anxiety and I was like, oh my God, like I really want this feeling to go away. And eventually it did, but it may not be ballet for me anymore, but it, right. it, it may be something else. I was just thinking like, maybe it's not ballet for anyone. You know, like there's a, such an open question of like, should <laughs> right. we be reclaiming and remaking this institution into something that's inclusive and welcoming for everyone? Or should we be saying like, ballet, your track record's like pretty bad. And I don't yeah. know, at what point do you decide <laughs> It can't really? be reclaimed. That's not my call to yeah. make. I'm not a dancer. But <laughs> totally. I, yeah, I will say it's like, that's like probably, that's like we've made it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. If we had like fully body. In the dance world. Yeah. To- totally, totally. I think that's probably the most restrictive in my head. Oh, man. It really is. So once you started designing your own dance classes and moving more into the fitness space, both these worlds are so laden with diet culture. And how did you navigate through it? It was honestly because of diet culture, I had to create my own lane. After college, I was in like social dance clubs. And even though like I was a great choreographer in those situations, they wouldn't let me like be a choreographer or, you know, and people would understand like, man, you're so good at dancing. You're so good at, you know, why that she's not putting you in this space? And I'm like, I don't know, like, you know, it is what it is. And I realized that I was just always following by other people's rules, you know, about like what they wanted to see for their company or what they wanted to see for their vision of what it looked like on stage. And I just was limiting myself because I was putting myself in these positions where people telling me what I can and can't do when it comes to dance. And at the time, I was, you know, my 20s already. And I was like, you know what? Like, I don't have to really confine to that. I was actually working with a bunch of different choreographers, just taking classes weekly just to perfect my craft. And I got really close, actually, with an instructor. Shout out to Rick. He knew I was a great dancer and he knew that I taught. And so he was like, you know, all my routines, like, hey, whenever I'm like out, like, would you mind covering the class? Like everyone knows you and you're such a great, you know, energetic person. And I was like, oh my God, yes. And, you know, I would sub for him every now and then. And he would kind of give me my first break to like start teaching classes in New York outside of a social dance club. And that felt really great to have someone who saw my work ethic, who saw my commitment and knew that I could do this, right? Regardless of what my body, you know, not only am I pluses, but I'm also short. And the idea of a dancer is like long and graceful. And I just wasn't fitting that criteria of what we normally think of as a dancer. And so 
it was just really nice to have those opportunities. And I think that's what really led me to start creating classes myself. So in the 2010s, we started with what we called body positive dance classes. And that was really at the time where body positivity was like really claimed by the plus size community before it was like more universal, I want to say. And it was actually a two hour workshop. So we held these once a month. It wasn't something that I did regularly every week, but it was a lot of intention behind it. And I think the reason was a lot of the times when I was dancing, I would realize I'm the only plus size and sometimes only a person of color in the room. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I would get double whammy there. And I was like, man, I know there are other dancers out there. Like I know there, I'm not an anomaly. I dance with other plus size people in college. Like, where are they? (laughs) And so I started posting on social media and creating these classes and I really wanted to create intention behind it because when I realized people were saying to me online, oh, I wish I can go to class, but I don't have the courage to. A lot of it was like the confidence to go just to actually get to the class. Yeah. So I think one by saying, hey, like I look like you, I am also in this space where like, I know it can be scary, come and let's be scared together. And so the first half hour, 40 minutes, we didn't dance. We talked. (laughs) We... It was like mini workshops. We gave out affirmation cards. Sometimes we would talk about like, hey, does that resonate with you? Why? We've had vision boards. (laughs) We've had stuff where we like, we did like some cord cutting, you know, where we like wrote notes about things that we didn't want to take with us in the new year and like burn them. Like there's just so many things that we really did that felt like we had a close fit community before we started to move. And we also got silly. And I think that's what people are afraid. Sometimes Mm. they're afraid to look silly. But when we're all purposely being silly, I think it kind of, yes, you know, it just takes away that barrier, right? Of like, oh, I don't want to look silly. Oh, wait, we're supposed to be silly here. You were really making a safe space for people to show up in their bodies. This was after I had my daughter and my body changed really. And, you know, as, as a mom, your body just changes immensely once you have a kid. I think some people don't realize this, but it's not about like the weight or anything. It's more just like even shape, just like looking at your body and saying, this is not the body I'm normally seeing in the mirror. So now mm-hmm. I have to like adjust myself to like what I'm now seeing. Sure. Right. And that adjustment. And so I think, yeah, all of that kind of plays a role into that. And I'm glad you brought up your daughter because I wanted to talk about her a little bit. We both have daughters named Violet, yes. which is I'd so like oh I love that. <laughs> yes. And I love how you talk about modeling fitness for yourself, like to like how you're modeling it for her. It feels really different from the diet culture version of mom fitness that we are sold so often. I will say, again, I think it's the silliness factor. (laughs) I'm not afraid to be silly. And I think sometimes as parents, yeah, we sometimes we lose that silliness a little bit. But especially with our kids, right? We can be silly with our kids. There's so much there's there's a, a comfort in being silly with your kids. And sometimes I think for me, I know that especially with my daughter, she loves to be active and she's very active. And for me, I always wanted to make sure that she felt comfortable doing whatever activity that it is for her, but also that mom can participate if she wanted to. And for me, fitness is really all about like functional and like what I want to do as a parent, what I want to do in my life to want to, you know, have more endurance to keep up with my kid. She likes to be carried a lot still. My daughter's on the spectrum and just like really loves like Mm -hmm. being held. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, she's going to be tall like her dad, but she's like, you know, almost eight and like four feet (laughs) and wants to be carried and I'm five feet. (laughs) (laughs) So you need to be strong. (laughs) There's these things that I'm like, I want to be able to still be able to hold my kid if she wants to be held. And so, you know, even after becoming a mom, I think 
just my shift of fitness has changed into just like what I want to continue to keep doing and how I want to move through life with her, with my future kids. But I think it's more just even just talking about bodies in general. It's so interesting because my daughter's obsessed with my boobs. (laughs) (laughs) Kids are so helpful that way. They're just so funny, right? And they're just like, but she's like, she's like, they're so wiggly, right? When you really think about it, my daughter is saying like, I love how wiggly it is and it's playful and it's fun and I like to touch it and it makes me happy. It makes me giggle. Like she's laughing. It brings her joy. And so, you know, you start to look at it differently. And so, you know, not just with bodies, but just with movement in general, you know, we just want to look at things a little bit differently. You had a reel recently of you at a trampoline place with your daughter. And I'm really, this is one of my things. Like my kids love trampolines. I don't love them. And and what I really don't love, honestly, I actually like trampolines. I don't love the trampoline place, which is like a sensory yes, it's chaotic. to me. It's wild. <laughs> and like all the kids and then the ball pit and I'm like, someone's going to get pink eye and like the whole thing just is not my jam. And their dad is the fun dad who will take them to the trampoline place. But my daughter's been saying to me lately, like, I want you to come to the trampoline place. Why won't you go with us? And I'm like, God damn it. I got to do it. Don't I? I don't want her to think that only like her skinny dad, who's a big runner guy, you know, like he's very like traditionally fit. Like, I don't want her to Mm -hmm. think that that's the only type of body that goes to the trampoline place. Of course. Yeah. And let me tell you, I'm like one of the only moms that are jumping out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like such a dad thing. Regardless of body. And so it is a kind of this thing where like there is this culture where it feels like that. And so two things I will say. One, there are times where there's like quiet times and I rarely especially if you see my videos, there's not a lot of kids around because Mm. I rarely go when it's like the busiest. And I think too, one, I think it's overstimulating for both of us. And I just, I'm like, yeah, you know, it's like a lot of kids in there. I don't think I need to jump. I think you're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I think it forces us to like when there's not that many kids, it's like, hey, we now have to like kind of play around with her too. The great thing too about these like I'll jump for a couple minutes, but I'm very much like I'm just on here, but kind of bouncing a little bit. Yeah, hanging and out with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm like seeing what cool tricks can you do. I'm like timing you for races. You know, like there's all these like these lazy mom mm-hmm. <laughs> ways to like get your kid active and you can stay still. We're playing all kinds of games. Okay, I'm gonna work on psyching myself after this. <laughs> I mean, I do think it, there's like real value in it, and I also, you know, want to be mindful. Like, not everybody has the physical ability to do these things and yes that doesn't make you any less of a mom or a person of course but you know I am a mom who gets in the pool and who wears the swimsuit and like isn't afraid to play in the water with my kids and that was something I was very intentional about and I was like oh am I doing that with the trampoline place so I'm on my trampoline journey so listen keep you take the journey (laughs) another thing I would love to hear about if you're comfortable sharing is I know you had a really big health experience recently I'd be really interested to hear that story and how that has kind of further evolved your relationship with movement. I had a stroke in August of 2022. So it's about a year and a half ago. And that actually, so we found out we had a hole in my heart that I was born with, which was small enough not to create a murmur mm-hmm. because, you know, apparently holes in the heart to create a murmur. You can kind of get that. You can kind of hear that early on in your life. And so this blood clot that I had apparently just transferred through this hole into my brain and it kind of happened suddenly. So it was very sudden. I kind of had some signs of fatigue the month before and I actually went to the hospital twice 
because I was just feeling very lethargic. My blood pressure was pretty low and they were figuring out that I was dehydrated. So they kept giving me like IVs of, you know, and rightfully so I'm young. They w- I wasn't showing signs mm-hmm. of any neurological issues. And right, I just thought, yeah, maybe I am just dehydrated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was also working insane amount of hours around that time. I realized later on, you know, I was on the couch for maybe like 16 hours. And especially with someone like when I start to get hyper-focused, I don't think of, I don't, I, I could be on the couch for five hours without a drink of water, mm-hmm. getting up to use a bathroom, eating anything. And I'll get up feeling really dizzy. And I'm like, man, I keep doing that to myself. Mm-hmm. And so I realized the way I was working and like how I chose to, the way my movement schedule was, I was either sitting for like 16 hours at a time and then going the next day to like teach two classes. Mm. So it was just like the balance wasn't there. And I was putting my body in these extreme situations where I was just either really sedentary or really active. (laughs) My body was just like, whoa, what's happening here? And so that's what will cause a blood clot because we haven't found to this day like any other blood clots or history or just like, and it was just a situational thing that had happened. And I say that because I was in the hospital for a week doing tests and just multitude of tests after the stroke happened because we couldn't figure out where this blood clot came from, why it happened. And when I went to my primary doctor, who I love, and this is someone that I researched and I, which I can go on a whole other rant on, but make sure that you really like have a medical team that is for you and about you and you have the right to do that. And that is your call. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's another rant. Yep, but it's important to say. <laughs> it's important to say. She was like, you know, sometimes science just can't find the answer. (laughs) So irritating and so true. (laughs) But then what I realized is what I was just like, stress is such a high cause of just sickness and situations. And I was just putting myself in the stressful situation where my body was like, hey, we can't work like this anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I collapsed, ironically, like right after a couples therapy session on Zoom. It was just so crazy because my therapist was like, you seem so fine. And I was like, I know. I thought I was fine too. Wow. <laughs> and I go to charge my phone and I'm on the floor. And I have no idea why I'm on the floor. The only reason that I knew I was having a stroke is because I went on a YouTube spiral, I think six months prior. There was a doctor who had had a stroke and studied her own brain. Dr. Jill Bolt-Taylor. My Stroke of Insight is a great, great TED Talk. But she talks about how she realized she was having a stroke, but she was in and out of it. And so this interesting story of just how it happened and how it was coming to be. And so because I felt no sensation, I felt sensation on my left side. I couldn't lift my right side. I felt my face like started to droop. And I was like, I have to call 911 immediately. I was actually home alone. Luckily, my daughter was in Dominican Republic. We were supposed to meet her four days after. She was there with her cousins spending time with her aunt and her grandparents and we were supposed to like meet them Mm -hmm. so that she had a longer summer vacation and we just couldn't because of work so luckily she wasn't home but my husband was out and I had collapsed and I had called him and he was like what is happening and I like was telling him what's happening but I was starting to like get frustrated because I couldn't talk I remember I called 911 and try to give them my address and I just like in my head I saying the right numbers but the wrong numbers were coming out and I was just like this is insane like I'm getting upset at myself and I'm just like I could see the number right 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 (laughs) and it was just it was super interesting to know that I was experiencing this but like couldn't do anything to like try to fix my speech or try to get up luckily the 
ambulance came within maybe less than 10 minutes, but I didn't want them to break down my door because you know, like, again, like safety things, right? right my right. door is right in front of the elevator. I'm like, if they break down my door, like, it's going to be open. I don't want people Yeah, and you're house. like, but someone's going to have to fix that at some point. How's that going to happen? But I love that as I'm having a stroke. Right. No, I would be doing the same <laughs> like, thing, though. Like, this is going to be a hassle I don't want. Exactly. You're like, I, listen, even though I'm on the bridge of death, I don't want them to break my house, break into my house. <laughs> oh, my God. I think about that. It's just, I, I have to laugh at myself. But with my right side, I'm on the floor and I'm just pulling myself and pushing myself on my body to go to my front door. And I was in my bedroom and luckily I was in the hospital within 30 minutes. I think within 45 minutes of everything happening, Wow! I was able to reverse because I got the medicine so quickly, I was able to reverse a high percentage of my movement, my speech. And so that was just a godsend really just to know that I was okay. And because it all happened so fast and, you know, I was in the hospital for so long and I, it was interesting because I was starting to feel better. I could move. My speech was coming back and I was, you know, I felt really in high spirits. And it was just so interesting for doctors to come in and see like how well I was doing. Mm. They're like, it's insane because you're in the ICU, but right. you don't look like you just came, you know. And I was really grateful because apparently I had a major stroke. And so I don't know what kind of sign this was for my life, you know, but I knew that like, my movement wasn't taken away from me. And so I think that's like, for me, that's something worth celebrating and something to continue working on because yeah, my career is moving. I took that as a huge sign to just figure out life balance. And that's really when I started to think of movement more functionally, especially after having a brain injury, Yeah, right? It's like most of my strength is gone. I want to rebuild my strength, rebuild my core. How do I want to get rid of some of these headaches, like using breath work and all of these different kind of things, you know, that we don't tap into enough. If I only thought working out was to lose weight, then now what do I want to work out for mm-hmm. <laughs> if I don't want to be part of that culture? We see that movement scientifically increases dopamine, increases serotonin, all these happy hormones and all these things that are stress relievers. And so in that same vein, right, even for mental health or brain health, I knew that I had to continue moving in a way that felt good for me. Mm -hmm. I so appreciate you sharing that story. I know that's obviously a super harrowing experience you've been through. And yeah, I'm just, I want to hold space for you sharing that and reflecting on it in such a thoughtful way for us, because I think that's helpful. You know, bodies do really tell us what's going on. I have like a lower back that will let me know when I am pushing it too. It's like, you don't get to walk today. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you, you, t- you pushed it too far. You didn't take care of yourself. And yeah. And I mean, of course, we all don't have the same resources or bandwidth or access to these things. And that's a huge part of the conversation, too. But it does sound like shifting your lens from a diet culture definition of fitness to a more, you know, to just what you want it to be is a really powerful tool. I think movement has been tied into diet culture for so long because it was always, how do you lose weight? Diet and exercise, diet and exercise, diet and exercise. But it's not that exercise is part of dieting. You know what I mean? It's just because it got lumped into it that we now associate and can have a triggering association with a fitness to diet culture. And so my goal is to really encourage 
especially us in plus size bodies to really reclaim that. I really want to reclaim what movement looks like for us and just personally what it can look like for you because regardless of even your shape or your body size, fitness is personal. It's super personal for you. Well, to that end, I've got a bunch of listener questions I want us to run through because obviously you have a ton of fans in the Burnt Toast community. And so when I posted that you were coming on, I got a bunch of folks sending in questions for you. And yeah, these are all really about how do we untangle movement and fitness from diet culture, because that is such a project for all of us in so many ways. The first question is, do you have any tips for focusing on how you're feeling in your body versus imagining how your body could look. This feels especially hard with dance. Okay, Freelist, this is where we leave you. To hear the rest of our conversation and all of Jesse's thoughts about taking up space in new fitness spaces, about workplace wellness challenges, about finding time for fitness period when you're a sleep deprived new parent, you will need to be a paid Burnt Toast subscriber. You can click the link in your episode description or go to virginiasoulsmith.substack.com to join us. Thank you so much for supporting anti-diet body liberation journalism.